We've been looking at the question or questions about prayer. Today we'll look at this question, can unbelievers pray? I've written a number of verses and we're going to be reading each of those. So they're all in Psalm. And so if you can start turning, I'm going to have a person read. So we'll start right there in Psalm 32, 6. So let's just go right along. And... Uh, Take a look at the verses that we have. Who'd like to read that first one? Would you go ahead and read? Uh-huh. Okay. The, the uh, challenge is to those who are godly to offer prayers. The next one, 34, 15 through 18. Okay, who, who is the Lord giving ear to? Okay, talk about his eyes and his ears toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. Go ahead. What is the emphasis of verse 17 and 18? When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And delivers them. Who? Who does he hear? Who does he deliver? All right. And then it talks, he defines the righteous in verse 18. How are the righteous defined in verse 18? Broken hearted, crushed in spirit. What would that, what, what's another term for that? What's that? Discourage another term? What's another term? Contrite, humble, right? Hearts that are open and, and, and touched by the Lord. Let's look at the next one, Psalm 55.1. Who can read that for me? Okay, so it's a cry for God to, to hear. All right, let's look at 66, oh, excuse me, 61, verse 1. Who has that? He said that the Psalms is just filled with prayer, and it's the prayer of who? It's the prayer of the godly. It's the prayer of the one that goes to God for deliverance and there's a relationship that's established with God that he can go to. Let's look at 66 of verse 17 through 20. These verses, that there's the prayer of, of the believer and he's crying out. But it, it gives us this important part. Verse 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So can unbelievers pray? This gets even more specific. Even believers can't pray if they have, if they regard sin in their heart. If they, if they haven't, if they are, are hiding sin, um, they have blocked the path of of communication between them and the Lord. 
But it says in verse 19, but truly God has listened. I like that. That's so encouraging to me because, you know, you can, you can, you can take that and say, well, if I have sin in my heart, God won't hear me. And if, if I go to the extreme, it almost makes me think that, well, I know I have sin somewhere in my heart, so God is not ever going to listen to me. But here the psalmist, who's a human being, says, but God listened. God listened. So he's not talking about being sinless in our character in order to get our prayers through, but he is talking about communing with God, fellowshipping with him so that as we pray, God listens. So the psalmist kind of shares what kind of heart God is, is uh, hearing and listening to. Psalm 86, verse 1 and 2, someone can read that. What I like about this verse, he's establishing a reason why he can talk to God. He can talk to God because there's a relationship there. He says, preserve my life for I am godly. Now, he's not boasting in his own character. He's just saying, I'm, I'm yours. In fact, the next phrase, save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. He's saying, I'm your servant. I trust in you. I belong to you. You are my God. So that's a relationship of prayer. All right. Uh, let's look at these few others on our list. So 102.17. Destitute. Those are, who are in great need and who are coming to God for a prayer. And I wanted to spend more time in this one, 145. So let's turn there, Psalm 145. And there's two sections there. The first part is verse 8 through 16. I'm going to read that. Listen to me. Psalm 145, 8 through 16. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now, let me pause there. Who's included in those verses? Everybody, right? Saved and unsaved. But can the unsaved pray to him? Let's, let's keep looking. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. I wanted to pause there. Let's talk about his, his, his general goodness to mankind. So an unsaved person can say, you know, I prayed to God and and he gave me a job. I played, prayed for something to eat. He gave me something to eat. They could say that. And because God is good, they can have the impression that God has heard their prayer. But that's not the case. God is good. 
and his blessings extend to all of his creation, right? And so many can experience his goodness and they can pray and maybe even seem like a prayer is being answered. That's simply because God is good. It gets more specific, though, in the next section. So I wanted to see that first section is, is some people call it God's common grace. In other words, he makes his rain, he makes the sun to shine on everyone, the good and the evil. And he, he is good. So in, in that sense, yes, he can answer their prayer, but it's not because they have a specific relationship or they make a specific request. God is just going about doing what he does. He's being good. He's being gracious. It started off by saying, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, right? Now let's look at the next section, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So he defines, he further defines who he is who he's near to, who he listens, all who call on him. Then, then it describes that further, all who call on him in truth. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Can unbelievers pray? Psalm 140, verse 8. Someone can read that for me. Here's a prayer not to hear the prayer of those who are wicked. Can unbelievers pray? No. The answer to that is no. Can they utter a prayer? Obviously can. They can talk. They can speak out to God. But when you talk about praying, you talk about having a relationship with God where God listens and responds because of that relationship. They can cry out to God for his help and for his salvation. And when they cry out, when they humble themselves to him, he hears that prayer. But do they have a relationship to ask? It's kind of like kids running around on the street. Hey, man, you got, you got any money? Now, my kids ask me for something to eat. Now, kids are too old for that now. Well, grandkids come and ask me for something to eat. They have a need, I'm going to respond to it. Other kids, I might do out of my goodness, but I don't respond because of relationship with them. Can they pray? No. They have no um, personal relationship where God responds. All through the Psalms, you see the Psalms crying out to God. And saying, Lord, hear me. All through these verses, we see that, that one that God hears, that one who has a heart, who has a relationship and a right heart with God. So this reminds us of how good and how gracious God is. And it also reminds us of this. What a blessed privilege we have to be able to pray. To be able to go to God and have a relationship with him where we can speak to him. Can you imagine what it's like if you had access 
to the president of your company, if you had access to the mayor of this city, if you had access to judges, to people in high places, if you had access to the president of the United States, to the governor of Wisconsin, if you had access to them and their cell number, their email, and, and, and you could talk to them directly and they knew you and answered you and listened to your concern, we have that with God. Unbelievers do not have that. We have it. What a great privilege we have. We need to take advantage of that um, as, as we have that through prayer. They can't, but we can evening saints I'm going to continue with our meditation through the book of Hebrews remember that the writer of Hebrews he likes to write you know everybody has their own ways of thinking We like to, I like to think of John as John thinks in circles. So if you look at the books of John, they always have a cycle. They just keep returning to the same concept. And the cycle can widen. But this writer seems to me like he writes like a chain that's linked. The end of whatever he's got done talking about starts being the beginning of whatever the next thing he talks about. It's like one link inspires the next. And so when you look through the book of Hebrews, it's almost a shame to kind of cut it into sections because each section is building on the others. It's linked in some type of way. And so when we read verse 19 through 25 of chapter 10, you know we've come to the crux of the book because we've left the pure doctrine that we saw not that there wasn't any instruction, but there was more doctrine in the first half. And now we're starting to see what that means for us. We got to the pureness of that, the meat of it, the division of where we went straight from knowledge to now what we must do. But he ends at verse 25, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what is this day but the day of judgment? What is the day but the day of salvation? In fact, the judgment and salvation are the same thing, aren't they? And so, inspired by this thought of the day, we go into verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. is he saying? Remember he had told them, 
Encourage each other more and more. Encourage each other. Let's think about the fact that the day is coming. And what is the day? We talked about that just a little bit before, how the day is both judgment and salvation. Remember in the book of Revelations, chapter 19, when the rider on the white horse comes, he brings judgment. But the judgment is also a rescue. Think of Jesus Christ coming and us. We're trapped by the bad guy. And when Jesus Christ comes, he's like Superman coming. And the bad guy getting beat up is us being saved. So he says, anticipating that day, if we go on sinning deliberately, what thought do we have? Right? Think of it this way. He says, there has to be something in us as a people to understand the ramifications for sin. Because we all can slip into it so quickly. I was thinking about myself, how quickly we can go to anger, how quickly somebody can correct you on something. You know they're right, and you're still mad at them. That's how I get Somebody say, yeah, you know you shouldn't have did that. Why are you even talking to me? Right? First thing out is to lash out at the person, and it's clear that you did wrong, and you still lashing out. That's the sinful nature. But if we stay in that sinning, and it's been revealed to us that we have sinned, what we thought of as the salvation of God starts to start to look more like the judgment of God. Right? Remember the salvation and the judgment are not separate. People talk about it like it's the two sides of the same coin. I don't think it's even two sides of the same coin. I think it's the same thing. When Superman punches the bad guy, he's still saving you, the, the victim, right? So there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And he starts to compare it to the Old Testament. He said, you know what? If somebody deliberately broke Moses' law, they could die. How much more will somebody die if they broke the law of God? If they broke the law of the Son of God? And he starts to describe the aspects of God, but it brings to mind this. Judgment is so important for us to understand as believers. It's so important. That's what's sad about many churches today. Is because they want to preach salvation, but they don't want to preach what people are saved from. Joel Osteen is so inspirational. But you know what? He's not saving anybody because he doesn't tell them what they're getting saved from. Why are we so desperate to get the word of God out to this world? Why does Peter say, save yourself from this wicked generation? Why did Jesus come to die? Hell is real. And it's because hell is so real and so impending, right? It's not just real. It's something that could come in an instant. 
there are people right now who are closing their eyes and they open their eyes again. It feel, to them, it feels like they blinked and they are consumed in hell. And I don't mean it to say consumed like they gone. No, they in hell right now. There are people who mocked Jesus during his day who are still there. And they have no expectation that there's going to be any kind of break. Right? That's one of the scariest things to me. When I sin, I'm like, man, dude, God, I don't know. Am I really your servant? Am I going to be like one of those people who said, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I don't want to be one of them people that's sitting there in hell. 500 years. And I'm thinking, I got 8 million more to go. I don't want to be that. And we don't want that to be our family members. We don't want that to be the people that we see. We want to see people saved. And I think when we understand the impending judgment that comes, it should add a sense of urgency to us, shouldn't it? It should add a passion to us. That's why we get angry about sin. We shouldn't be angry because it offends us. Too many people get offended by gay people doing what they do because it's not because it's a sin, because it's gross to them. But they don't care if somebody is sleeping around and they just sleeping around and they use condoms and so it doesn't affect anything. Same family of sin. And all of it is leading towards judgment. But you know what? Somebody needs to be saved. They heart needs to be changed I'm not saying all sins are equal but all sins need a savior and so we need to preach that we need to understand it in our hearts we need to pray that for our children as cute as they may be they are not saved so let's pray let's teach our children let's raise our children so they can understand the truths of God that's something that's urgent on my heart I don't want my fatherhood to be an excuse for my kids to not believe in Jesus. So let's feel that pressure. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Um, tonight, let's focus on um, just continuing to pray for our budget. Um, we're still short, and we have one Sunday left to try to fill that shortfall. Um, so I just want that to be our prayer focus because we know God can help us make up that shortfall, right? He's done it before. He's gifted us land, other things of that nature. But, um, yeah, we are still short based on what the church has voted on as far as the budget, and that is including the Grace Partners money. So it's, if you take that out, we're even more short than what we had agreed upon. So um, just have a couple people pray just how your heart is stirred for you to pray in regards to our budget. Um, and then I'll close us. Oh, we're just continuing in prayer. We just lift up our finances. We know you are a God that can meet all of our needs, um, the church's needs and each individual's needs. We ask that you just stir up your people, steer them up to have a heart of cheerful giving that they can give abundantly and more than we have even expected, that we can meet um, our financial burden, um, the burden that we have set about, about as a church um, to hit for the year. Um, we ask that um, you also um, just come in and uh, help, um, help us find the means that we need to be able to um, meet 
our financial burdens and just continue to help grow this ministry and help this ministry thrive and help us um, just stir up the hearts of your people to give in a way that we're no longer um, making it one um, one month to the other and trying to catch up shortfalls that that we have an abundance and we have an abundance as in um, when they were building the temple where they said you can stop giving because you've given so much um, that we have a heart of people that are willing to give and um, I ask that you just work in each person's life as um, they're sitting here possibly thinking I give enough or I don't have the money to give or I don't know where it's going to come from help them realize ways that they can um, continue to give and um, meet their obligations of, of a tithe and um, show them ways that um, or convict their hearts in ways that they are um, not using money in a fruitful way and that um, these are some easy changes they can make in order to help us um, just continue to meet our goal and our um, budgetary needs. In your name we pray. Amen. Who's got prayer requests? I guess I can start. Um, pray for Lawrence and Shimon. He had to leave early. Um, they had to take his mom to urgent care. Not really sure what. I think it might be an allergic reaction to something. But um, just pray for them. That's why they're not here. Wayne. Street parking. I used to get a lot too when I parked in the street. Um, I guess mine's a converse of Brian. We had been um, in my in our small groups on Wednesdays. My, uh, we've been praying for like my family's personal finances because we were just getting hit left and right by things like medical bills. Like we had to take Naomi to get like work done on the teeth, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you covered," and then we had it done, and like, "Oh no, you're not. You owe us twelve hundred dollars." Stuff like that. Like we were just going through some tough times, and we were just really lifting up our um, finances. And the Lord has really been blessing us in it. Um, even um, we were worried that we we're going to have to owe because a lot of people owe in taxes, and we actually got money back. Well, it's not back yet, but it's coming. So just uh, praise God for that. That He is He is faithful in um, providing for His people. So just praise Him for that. Man, he is helping us. I mean, we still in lots of debt, but we coming out. You know, we got payment plans. We ain't get no interest. So he is helping us. I mean, we s- still got to rely on him, but praise him for that. Anything else? Anybody else? Last call. All right, let's break up in prayer. <laughs>